Well, welcome everybody. I'm Matthew, one of the pastors here at the Hills Church, where we believe God has called us to follow Jesus, love our neighbors, and build an economically and racially diverse church. And to that end, this week I attended the National Black Pastors Fellowship in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, And it was quite a moving experience, um, spending time with other ministers and getting to know some, some men and women of God who are doing great things around our nation and some, some young black ministers who are, are changing their cities. It was quite an, incredible. And the conference ended on Wednesday night with a banquet at the Underground Railroad Museum. Right on the banks of the Ohio River, which if you know your history, uh, the Ohio River separated the South from the North, slavery from freedom. And so we uh, took the exhibits in and, and walked through and went through the different exhibits. Um, and it was, you know, like you read about stuff in books or in history class, but when you, when you see, like, the remnants of something, it's just a bit, a bit heavier. And um, so after we we'd walked through, there was that banquet, and they had a, a worship team, and out the back window was the Ohio River right behind them. And then... Uh, then the banquet area, and then behind us was a reconstructed slave pen that had actually been used uh, about 60 miles away from there that had been reconstructed, and so we had spent time going in there, and I mean, it was just, it was heavy, like to think about and to consider uh, the most atrocious form of slavery the world has ever known here in our country, right? And then the worship team gets up. It's a, it's a gospel choir type worship team and uh and they weren't you know just like jesus loves me this i know uh that that wasn't how how they were they were singing in fact the song was and you may have heard it it's uh, you have turned i'd try to sing it but it would i disgrace it <laughs> turned our morning into dancing you have turned our sorrow into joy. And so, I mean, and then their, their expressions match the joy. And so here we are in this place with reminders of oppression and slavery all around us. Uh, but these black brothers and sisters are worshiping God. And then the, the, the bridge of that song says, this is how we overcome. Like, I'm like, What? What? An incredible song. And to be there in that moment, like I, I didn't know... If I was supposed to cry, I don't know if I was supposed to, to rejoice and dance. Like, look, look now. And, but you couldn't in that moment tell me that Jesus is not real. Like, there was a demonstration of the power of the gospel that reaches down into every culture, every people group, and says this is how we overcome. And so it was a little bit of a good conference, I guess you could... <laughs> you could say, and um, I suppose we should get to our text today, Acts chapter 2, or I might start preaching before I get there. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, it's page, uh, what page is it? 758 in the Bible under your chair. If you want to follow along, it'll be on the screen. Uh, but it was, thanks for praying for me this week, it was, it was an incredible time for you, Laura and I, and, and really, uh, it was eye-opening, it was encouraging, we were refreshed, and I'm ready, I'm ready to go today. So Acts chapter 2. Now, contemporary Christians, we have a right to be concerned 
when we look at uh, the world around us becoming increasingly secular, individualistic, um, and the church is often viewed as irrelevant. Like you just keep your faith over there, it doesn't really matter, um, and we've, we've lost influence, and I'm not talking about like an influence in politics, I'm not so concerned about that, but I mean like the influence to change lives, the influence that changes neighborhoods, like it seems like the, the church is, is powerless. You know what I'm talking about? You know what? Yes, one of you. Thank you, Najee. Appreciate that. It, but the fault, it doesn't lie with folks out there. It lies with us. The fault lies within the church, especially those of us who pride ourselves on like following the historic Christian faith of scripture alone, faith alone, and, and Christ alone. And, and all too often, our orthodox belief have been uh, rendered ineffective by our lack of joy, like our lack of power, our, our lack of movement. And if we're not careful, we can become just a holy huddle, circled up together, no different than the country club that gets together on Sundays without the power of God at work among us. There's, there's got to be more. And, and as we're reading the book of Acts, as Jeff mentioned, I'm feeling the same thing. Like, man, there is something at work 2,000 years ago this incredible power of God. And when I look at our church in America, like I'm, I'm frightened a bit. Um, but now in Acts chapter 2, we went through the first chapter. Uh, Jesus has commissioned the disciples. He has uh, ascended. The team has been put back together like there was a missing disciple. They got the team back together. And, and the, then the church did a few things. Last week we looked at how the church obeyed Jesus they walked in unity. They were committed to prayer. They were committed to the Bible. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read quite a bit of Acts chapter 2 for us this morning. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. There's that unity we spoke about last week. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, everybody say all of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So I'm just going to pause here for a moment. Uh, there were Jews in Jerusalem. There were several uh, times throughout the year where they would come and have different festivals that they would celebrate. So they would make this pilgrimage. And so at this time, there are Jews in Jerusalem, like it's at capacity. There's people, uh, Jews that have, had been scattered are now back in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost. So verse six, when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed. And as we read this, catch these words of bewilderment, amazement, wonder. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Mede, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? 
I wonder if we could ask that same thing today. What does this mean? Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much to drink. They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up, that same Peter who denied Jesus just a couple weeks ago, stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem. Uh, So he must have been speaking loudly if he's trying to get all of Jerusalem All of Jerusalem, listen, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. Well, it's always five o'clock somewhere. (laughs) Right? Well, just keep going. Uh, No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, this is what Joel had prophesied. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all People, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of righteousness. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Joy, gladness. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and is in his tomb, uh, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What should we do? And Peter replied, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I felt like I could just read that and then we could have a response. Like no need for a sermon. Like it's all right there. 
Jesus died, resurrected, sent the Spirit, turn to Jesus. Like that is what we see here, and um, I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. Today, maybe another day, if you got your hopes up. Uh, I want to talk for a moment about presence. Presence. Presence is a, a delicious word because it points to one of our truly great gifts, the, the gift of presence that we can give to one another. It's, there's nothing that can take the place of presence. Not gifts, phone calls, a text, presence. Um, and ask, ask the person who has lost a, a loved one, a lifelong mate, what they miss the most. And invariably, it's their presence. Like I, just, I just miss them. And when we are ill, we don't need people necessarily talking to us a whole lot. Or We need their presence, right? That gift of presence. And, and this is what makes shared life so pleasurable. And when we talk about going hiking or whatever you, you like to do, camping or going to outings, concerts, games, presence, spending time with friends, spending time with family. And, and God has made us this way because God himself has existed, has always existed in community with himself as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed uh, together in uh, community with one another. And, um, and the problem, or one of the problems with humanity, and it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden and what we call the fall when they turned away from God is not only that we lost our vision of God, like we, we distorted the character of God, but we also lost our relationship with God and we no longer know God's present with us. And the, the coming of Christ, though, and the Holy Spirit have changed this forever. And, uh, and in Acts chapter 2, the references to the Old Testament are everywhere, right? Like there's several um, different books that are, are mentioned, and uh, Peter directly quotes Joel chapter 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 110, and I don't have time to go into all those references, but the idea of God's presence with us is, uh, is crucial in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, I mentioned the garden. I mean, the in, in uh, Genesis chapter 2 and 3, God walks with the people in the cool of the night. There is his presence. And then at the very end of the story, in the book of uh, Revelation, we are once again with God. In fact, Revelation 21, 22, this is talking about God's new heavens and his new earth. It said, I did not see a temple in the city. This is John speaking. Why? Don't, don't we need a place to meet with God? Because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There will be no need for a temple because we will have access to the Father all the time. We will have presence. And um, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they understood themselves as people of uh, the presence. Um, people among whom the eternal God had chosen to dwell on their earth. And, and this is seen, and we're just going to recap it briefly for you. This is seen first in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was, um, God had given very specific instructions for how to build this tabernacle. It was, it was a tent, and not just instructions for how to build it, but how do you approach it. And in the center of the tabernacle was what? The presence of God. And not just anybody could go into this presence, though. Like if you were uh, just your common, regular uh, Israelite, you could go into the outer courts. 
But then the further you went in, the more restrictions that there were. And, and to get into the, the holy place where God's presence resided, you couldn't just walk in there without fearing for your life. And um, so they had this idea of the, the presence of, of God. And, and right after the, the exodus out of Egypt... They're the children of Israel, they're in the desert, they're getting ready for the promised land. They, they haven't messed up too bad yet. Like they've done a couple of things, but still the plan is God's going with them. Well, finally God has had enough. And he says, that's it. My presence will not go with you. And Moses, uh, in Exodus 33, he says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the people on the face of the earth? So God relented and went with them in this idea of presence. It started with the tabernacle, and years later, they come into the promised land, and they finally have the, the temple. Like that is the ultimate place of God's presence. And in 1 Kings, right after the, the temple had been built and had been dedicated, Solomon's there, and it says, when the priests withdrew from the holy place. That was like the inner part of, of the temple. The cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their services because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. So they were people of the presence of God, and the presence of God had come to fill the temple. And, uh, and even more than when you, when you think about uh, like the Jews and, and the Old Testament laws and the festivals, the thing that distinguished them above everything else was that they were people of the presence of God. And you look at the Psalms, the Psalms is the, the hymn book for the Israelites, all right, for the Old Testament people. Psalm 68 says, the chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai and to his sanctuary. God is coming to the temple. Psalm 84 Verse 1 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. That's a reference to the temple. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. So they had God's presence, but if you know the history of God's people, they end up turning their back on God. And in 586 BC, the Babylonians come in and they wipe out the temple. And this was devastating for them. Not just because many of them were taken into captivity, but because they had this idea in the back of their minds, like we can kind of live any way we want, do what we want, because we have God's presence, we have this temple, we're safe. It doesn't really matter. And finally, God sent them prophets. God um, sent them kings. He sent, I mean, half of, the, uh, of Israel had been wiped out a hundred years earlier. But they're like, oh, we got the temple. It almost became like a uh, a lucky rabbit's foot to them. Like nothing's good. So when the temple, even those who weren't taken in captivity, were no longer identified as people of the presence of God. But as always, there was, there was always hope, always a glimmer of hope, and there was prophets who came along. And Ezekiel uh, records that God said, my dwelling place will be with them. So this was after the temple had been destroyed. I will be their God and they will be my people. Malachi says, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. And Joel 2, who, uh, who Peter recall, recounts, as we've already read, 
God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And, um, and even the writings, like after the Old Testament, so you have the Old Testament, then there's 400 years where there is no word from God. There's silence. Um, but there are some books that, that we don't have in our Bible, but there's writings that give us an idea of what people were thinking about. And one of those is called the Testament of Dan. And it says, And Jerusalem will no longer undergo desolation because the Lord will be in her midst. So the presence of God was taken away from Israel. But there was hope that the presence of God would come again. And in Acts chapter 2, God has visited his people again. And this time, this, this presence of God comes in a, a much fuller way, and it's, it's available for everyone, and they've waited, and now there is uh, amazement, there's wonder, there's bewilderment, there is joy, and, and this is a very real, tangible experience, and, and people are starting to gather around, and like, what, what is going on? What is happening? Asking, what does this mean? And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, Peter says, this is what, in the old King James, says, this is that, I don't know if that's good English anymore, but referring to like, this is what was promised for all those years ago. This is what we have been waiting for. And, and so the, the spirit that's come is no, none other than the fulfillment of the presence of God returned to his people. I'll try that one more time. This is none other than the presence of God returned to his people. Uh, and there, there's some symbols there. There's a fire and, and wind, and uh, we, we talked about this last week just because it mentions it doesn't mean that we think that we're necessarily going to have fire on our heads again or wind is going to come through. But these are pictures of God's presence in the Old Testament. You remember Moses at the burning bush. God was in the fire, and there's a pillar of fire that led the children of Israel. And the prophet Ezekiel talks about this vision of God, and much of the vision is consumed with fire. And whenever the presence of God showed up, it was overwhelming. And now at the day of Pentecost, every believer is a kind of burning bush. Like the Spirit of God has come into us and is available. At a, and I don't think we quite appreciate what that means. I don't think that um, in some of our, our traditions, like we think, well, this was 2,000 years ago. That's not really for us today. But the presence of God is still something 2,000 years ago that is to identify the people of God. I don't have time to go into all the details, but Paul would later write uh, that we are the temple of God. Like the church, when we gather, the t think about that. I just talked about this, uh, this presence of God, and, and now Paul is saying, you are the temple of God. He says that three times, and one time he refers to us individually as being the temple of God. So what does this mean for us? Well, first, this presence is for everyone. This presence is for everyone. So who is filled in verse 3 and 4? They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And now the the apostles, the 12 apostles, were the most ordained people in history. When you talk about people who had, Jesus had handpicked, he had trained them, he had said, you're going to be my witnesses, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't just them. 
We read in the previous chapter that there was at least about 120 women who were with them. Uh, just your regular old folks received the Holy Spirit. Um, now, prior to this, the Spirit of God didn't come on people like this. Like every once in a while, God would raise up somebody, a deliverer, and, and the Bible would say the Spirit of God would rest on them. But then maybe the Spirit would leave them. That's not what we're, we're talking about here. It says everyone. It says all of them received the Holy Spirit. And there's one occasion, again, uh, with Moses and the children of God, where Moses was just tired out because he was doing all this hearing from God, all this judging the people, not in a, like a judgmental way, but they were bringing his, his, their cases to him, and, and he was tired out, and God said, assemble 70 elders together, 70 leaders, bring them together. I'm going to put some of my spirit on them. Just a little bit, it'll help relieve the burden. And so they gather near the tabernacle at that time, and the Spirit of God comes on the 70 of them, and it says they began to prophesy. There were two elders who didn't show up, who were back in the camp, back at their tents, back at their home, and you know what happened to them? They began to prophesy, and, and they became, came running to Moses, and like, Moses, they're prophesying over there, and Joshua's like, you got to stop them, Moses. And Moses was like, no, no, I wish all of God's people would prophesy and have the measure of the Spirit that I have. And that was God's intention. And that's what we have in Acts chapter 2, this pouring out of, of God's Spirit, this presence that is available uh, to all of us. And so it's, uh, later on, Peter, would, he quotes Joel, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, sons, daughters, young, old, he goes on to say it's for your kids and everyone who is afar off. It's for those who are now. It's those who are later. And so I'm guessing that you fall into at least one of those categories of son, daughter, young, old, near or afar off. The presence, so first, the presence is for everyone. Second, the presence is for everyone. <laughs> I imagine you just told us. You got confused. What's, what's happening? Uh, all right, Okay. First time I'm talking about like the presence is for everyone regardless of status, time, gender, and age, but it's also for everyone regardless of ethnicity. In verses 8 through 11, we read there's just a number of nations. You're like, I don't know where that's at. It's okay. You don't have to know. You just have to know there were multiple nations represented there. Uh, and they, they said we hear them speaking in our own language. And the very first presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ was in every language at once. The first presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ was in every language at once. They said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our language. And, um, you know, when, when we, we read through that, I'm thinking like, why, why is this detail? It's kind of tedious. Uh, but I think Luke, the author, is trying to make that point that this was, I mean, this first worship service is multilingual. It's multicultural, it's multiracial in the extreme. Um, I mean, think about that. If we could preach simultaneously in the same language or in multiple languages at the same time. And, um, and this was intentional because in doing this at Pentecost, what, what God is saying is that there is no one culture. There is no one language that has precedent over, that we can point back to and like, say, that's original. So we need to do it, what they're doing and their culture to be real Christians. That, that is not what happened 
There is a, a scholar at Yale Divinity School. He's from Ghana. His name is Lamin Sana, and he's written multiple books, and one of his books is Translating the Message. And he points out something that's pretty well known, and it's that um, Muslims will tell you that the Quran can't be translated into other languages. You're like, Matthew, you can get the Quran in English. Yeah, you can. I, I have an English uh, translation. But they would say it, it's not really the word of God because to the Muslim, God speaks Arabic. That is how they, they see God. And so you can have the, the Quran, but if you really want to know God's word, you have to, to learn Arabic. You have to hear it in Arabic. You, I mean, you can have an English translation, but even uh, the translation I was going to bring it this morning, it has the, the guys who translate his name on the outside. Just to let you know, this isn't really uh, the word of God. And uh, what, what Lamine says about Pentecost is Christianity is totally different. That we do believe the word of God can be translated. So if you have a Chinese Bible, if you have a Spanish Bible, if you have a Korean Bible, if you have an English Bible, we believe that it is the word of God. It is uh, the word of God because there is no predominant culture. And, and in Islam, there is a unified Islamic culture. Like uh, when, when a, an area becomes predominantly Muslim, the culture shifts and becomes Arabic, right? I mean, we can study this throughout, throughout history. That, that is um, what happens in, in, in the Muslim, Muslim faith. But with Pentecost... There is no one language. There is no uh, one culture. And, and what Jesus does is he comes into our individual cultures and he lifts up our cultures. Uh, now he also speaks to our culture. He's got something to say. He's got some corrections to bring to every, every culture. Uh, but he, Christianity does, doesn't just steamroll your cultures. But if, if you're African and you become Christian, you don't become a, a European Christian. Hey, man, come on. Amen. Hey, I know I get more amens there. Uh, and if you're a, a, a Europe, European and you become a Christian, you don't become an African Christian. I wasn't expecting as many amens there. I just, that, but that's cultural right there. An example, I'll just keep going. Uh, but the, the gospel, it comes in and it renews every culture. This, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit was for everybody. And, and what does this mean for us is that we can't let our way of doing things become the way of doing things where we look down the street and they might be having a worship service that looks a little different than ours and we're like, man, if they just had it figured out and worshiped like we did, that would be real Christianity. I mean, every culture has a different way of expressing themselves, do we not? Outward emotional expressions. Uh, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm crazy emotional and I look back like at a picture or video and I'm like this. <laughs> but like inside... I'm alive, but somehow this white skin just slows me down. Uh, I, we, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I don't know. Uh, I mean, each culture has a different way of, of treating the individual within the group and, and what that means. Cultures have a different way of viewing family or the, the importance of family and, and, and heritage. Cultures have a difference in, in time and punctuality. I just keep going. Uh, social power, social con constructs. Like when we come to Christ, we don't have to give up our culture. But the gospel does speak to our culture. At, at the conference this past week, I was speaking to one of the other few white guys that was there. 
And uh, he pastors a multi-ethnic church in Kansas City that is predominantly like 75% minority. And uh, so I had been wanting to meet him for a while, and so Elora and I went and chatted with him, and he's sharing with us for a while. And uh, at one point, he says, never get caught between two strong black women. <laughs> and like his eyes got big. He's like, and this, he was, uh, I mean, a little older than I was. I mean, wisdom, but it just looked like he had fear <laughs> in his eyes. He's like, they'll chew you up and spit you out. <laughs> so I, I must not think that my Christianity is the real Christianity because of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, the gospel went into all cultures. And we need to be working to be as racially and culturally diverse as we can be. Not for the sake of diversity, but for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the spirit who was poured out for us. I'm running out of... I can't see that clock back there. Okay, a couple more minutes. Um, there's a story in the, in the Old Testament, Genesis, it's called the Tower of Babel. Like, we kind of skip right over that. Uh, Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 10, there was a list of nations. Almost like what we have here in Acts chapter 2, a list of nations. But there's two very different outcomes. Because in the Tower of Babel, the people speak one language. And they say to themselves, let's come together, let's build a tower, let's make a name for ourselves. And God looks down and sees them and curses them. And they begin to speak different languages, and it results in a, um, like a dispersion of, of people, a, a disunity to the ends of the earth. So that's in Genesis chapter 11. In Acts uh, chapter 2, again, we have the table of nations with people speaking uh, multiple languages who shouldn't be unified, but through multiple languages, like the people are unified, and, and those who are alienated are brought close. And I've got a bit of a diagram. There we go. So Acts, you have many languages. They call in the name of the Lord, and it results in racial and cultural healing. And what Pentecost means is, to the, the greatest degree possible, that we have to work for the unity of the gospel and, and across racial barriers. And I wish I could say the rest of Acts chapter 2, it looks awesome. Like things are good, but these, these disciples, they're kind of dense. And they keep erecting barriers uh, to unity in the gospel and, and barriers to the gospel. So first, this presence is for everyone. Second, this presence is for everyone. What do you think my third point is? Um, I, I set you up for this one. This presence brings joyful fearlessness. A joyful fearlessness. Some, however, made fun of them. Acts verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 13. So they've had too much wine. Later, Paul would write, don't get drunk on wine, but what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and being filled with the Spirit is like being drunk. Wait for it. But it's also unlike being drunk. And how is it like being drunk? And uh, the reason they thought everyone was junk, <laughs> junk, drunk was because they had a... Uh, a joy about them and a fearlessness that, about them that usually only happens when you're drunk, right? You've been around uh, people who are drunk. You might know what I'm talking about. Not personally. Liquid courage. You get a couple of drinks in you. 
And uh, maybe there's, uh, you're an older guy and there's a lady who's 20 years your senior. And, and if, you're, if you're sober, you know it, that looks stupid to go and, and talk to the young lady who's 20 years younger than you. You get a couple of drinks in you. All of a sudden you're feeling bold, feeling confident. This is probably a really bad illustration. You, you still look stupid. This is what the difference is, though, between being filled with the Spirit and being drunk on wine. Um, so, but in a sense, stay with me. I'm gonna, you're going to see where this is going. <laughs> being filled with the Spirit is like being drunk. We have a, a fearlessness when we are filled with the Spirit, and we have a, a joy, and especially as it relates to telling people about Jesus, right? Um, and, I mean, Jesus told us the reason you're going to receive the Holy Spirit is to be witnesses, to have power to tell people. Um, I mean, have you ever had fearful thoughts when it comes to telling other people about Jesus? If you're breathing and you're a Christian, you probably have, all right? That's all right. Uh, so last week, Elora and I were with uh, Will Jones and his wife. Will has spoken for us a few times. So we're having dinner and we, we wrap up and, and there's some untouched food on our table and we're downtown Cincinnati. And Will turns to me, he's like, let's get this food. We're going to go give this to somebody, and Matthew, you're going to tell them about Jesus. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was like, my initial thought was like, well, I would rather like, chew on a handful of bumblebees <laughs> than go tell just a random person about Jesus. Will wasn't having it. <laughs> So uh, we finished our meal, walked down the street, and like most cities, homeless people around, and, and there was a, a couple next to a, uh, the lady was leaning up against the stoplight, uh, sitting on the ground, the guy was standing there, uh, and we, we asked them how they were doing, began to have a conversation with them, gave them the food, we ended up praying for them, laying hands on them, their people are all, now I bet if someone saw us, they'd be like, what's wrong with those people? Are they drunk? Uh, we, we prayed for them. The, um, they, they have like this area of like a tent city kind of thing. Not, not real big. I don't, I don't think their problems are as big as what we have here in Denver or, um, with people without homes. And, um, but at the overpasses, they, they told us that they were, they were cracking down on, on homeless people staying under the, the overpasses. And they said people that stayed on the overpasses were drug addicts. And so now the drug addicts were coming into the tent city, and so they were, the lady was afraid. There had been overdoses, afraid to stay there. And um, so we shared with them. We prayed with them. We, we prayed with, with them a couple times. She's crying. We ended up getting them a, a bus ticket to her sister's. Um, and all because uh, Will is, is so full of this joyful fearlessness because the Holy Spirit is, is with him. Now you think, well, that's Will. He's an evangelist. Yeah, yeah, but this promise was for all of us. This, this joyful uh, fearlessness. Um, so it's also not like alcohol or being drunk. Because what's the reason you're happy when you're drunk? It's because you're stupid. <laughs> Because, now stick with me, because you are less aware of reality, right? When you are drunk, like the world, uh, as you know it, 
uh, is, is a bit smaller. Like all the bad things that could happen to you, they're out of your mind. Um, and I realize not everybody is a happy drunk, all right? But the idea, um, when we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't make us stupid. In fact, the Holy Spirit makes us more aware of reality. Uh, he shows us uh, what is, is real. And, um, and so one of the results of the Spirit coming is, is that increased uh, power and, and boldness in our life. And, um, and what the Spirit does is he makes real in our hearts what we know in our heads is that Jesus is king, that Jesus loves us, that Jesus wants us to share our faith with others. And so when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we become more aware of reality. And so that fear of, that keeps us holding back is what will people think about us? Like, we can just push that aside because we have this, this new uh, truth of, of Jesus that is, has, has, what I'm trying to say is when we have this presence of God that's for everyone, male, female, young and old, every ethnicity, that gives us this fearless joy. Like it will change us. It will, it will change the way we live. And as I conclude, I'm going to have Najee come. Um, and if you're a little worried about time, I know I preached a little longer today than I have. We're going to forego communion. Well, I, I'm going to ask us to respond to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us today. And, um, and, and here's what I want us, like kind of as a conclusion, what I want us to understand is that this, the Holy Spirit is the experienced, empowering return of God's own personal presence in and among us, who enables us to live radical lives of witness, service, and purity. The Holy Spirit is the experienced, empowering return of God's own personal presence in and among us, who enables us to live radical lives of, of witness and racial unity. And so my prayer, and, and I hope it, something has stirred up within you today, is that our prayer would be the same as Acts chapter 1. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. And, um, and I'm going to ask you to pray in just a moment. Najee's going to lead us in a song, but uh, I'm going to ask you to pray that way. Like that the Spirit would come into your life. You're like, Matthew, I'm a believer. I've, don't I have the Holy Spirit? Yes. But does your life reflect Acts chapter 2? that joyful fearlessness. And like, I, I want when people visit the, the Hills Church that they would come and they would experience the presence of God. Like not in, and all of us have uh, maybe some different background or different baggage when it comes to the, the Holy Spirit and different traditions and, and what it means. And, and all I'm really talking about is, is Acts chapter 2. Like what we see there and uh, this joy and this power and proclaiming the wonders of God. And, and I don't want us to limit what God wants to do among us. Yes, Lord. God's presence, His Holy Spirit is available for you today. And, and some of you may be in a place in your life like this last week was just a, a tough week. For what uh, some of you, I, 
I know some things that are going on in, in your lives and it's a tough week and you need God's presence in your life. We need God's presence. And so um, would you stand with me? And as Najee leads this song, would you just make that your prayer, the Holy Spirit come. Whatever you, whatever you have for me, I want the joyful presence of the Holy Spirit in my life.